Alright all you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 298 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the A Corefish Out of Water episode of the SLS Cast because it turns out that, well, there is an anime out there. It's a Pokemon anime. And there are many, many episodes of said Pokemon anime. And A Corefish Out of Water is the 200. 98th episode of that anime. Yes! And with that wonderful little bit of Pokemon anime knowledge, I, of course, am Matt. And coming to us all the way from nowhere, well, it's just me. Because even though I asked around, I guess no one wants to play with me, which means I guess I'm just a terrible, terrible person. Or maybe just a terrible, terrible co-host. Or maybe just terrible, terrible at finding co-hosts. Something in there is true. I believe it. I feel it. But we are only one week away. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, one week away from the return of Tim to guide us and talk to me and whatever else it is that we're going to do. And that's all I got. Not, no, no, bro. We got a little news here for you, and we'll also be covering some movies. The movies did kind of get switched midstream. Sorry about that, guys. Just due to the way everything ended up working out, so we're actually doing Lizzie. But hey, we did it, and it's done. And don't worry, Tim is actually going to be here for those reviews. I believe he phoned them in again. I'm not quite sure, only because I've been cheating around and I just looked at the file name. I haven't heard his review yet. I am actually going to be just as surprised as you. Due to the nature of time and everything else, I am literally going to be throwing this all together as fast as I can. And Tim was kind enough to have sent me his scores. So I am really just going to be doing a cursory listen just to see if there needs to be any kind of quick little noise noise removal or anything like that. And then we're just throwing it in there, folks. So you guys are going to be just as surprised as me by what Tim has to say. And then hopefully when he comes back next week from his solitude of learning, his layer of learning, I'm not sure. Basically, now that he should know this software stuff he's been working on for a month, we'll find out what all he's been up to. So without further ado, we're going to get right into it. I'm same, same old, same old guys, just completely swamped with work and school and losing my mind a little bit at this point, but we carry on, we soldier on, and now it's time for news. So here we go, folks. It's the news. folks so i basically have uh, just two pieces of news one is kind of a feel-good story the other is a sad piece of news and we're going to start with that sad piece of news from fanthatracks.com by way of the fantha trackers that is the direct attribution there we have gary kurtz 1940 to 2018 they write Gary Kurtz, Star Wars producer, passed away on the Sunday, the 23rd of September, after living with cancer. 
for the last year. In the 70s and 80s, Gary Kurtz was a young filmmaker that revolutionized the Hollywood film industry at its core with his films like Star Wars, American Graffiti, and The Empire Strikes Back. The agreements he closed altered the balance of power for the film studio to the directors and producers so they could, for the first time, make the films how they wanted to make them and control the process of the art of filmmaking. Gary Kurtz studied religion extensively in his early years. In the early stages of development on Star Wars, he suggested to Lucas that he might give the film a a sufficiently universal religion to help give it more depth. That led to Kurtz working on the Star Wars screenplay and developing The Force, which would go on to influence generations of fans. Lucasfilm was born under their banner and went on to make some of Hollywood's most successful films of all time. Gary Kurtz later closed the deal with 20th Century Fox to make Star Wars for $11 and off the back of this, Kurtz and Lucas set up the Star Wars Corporation. Gary Kurtz became vice president of the corporation, looking after the development of the film and also the film's other assets such as merchandising rights and products. Star Wars was to become a troublesome production, which was complicated to finish. It pushed special effects technology and the art of filmmaking to the limit in order to finish the film on time Kurt set up a second unit and directed many pickup shots most of the cockpit dogfighting scenes and most of the Star Wars opening scene and interior fight sequences on Princess Leia's ship he then went back to the US to work on the special effects miniature unit at ILM as they were struggling to complete many of the shots that were promised in England At this point, George Lucas was not confident they had a film to release, but in the end, Star Wars was finally finished and unleashed to the world on May 25th, 1977, and became one of the biggest films of all time, bringing in over $1.1 billion. Moving on after Empire Strikes Back, Gary Kurtz's next big film was not going to be easy. A longtime friend, Walter Murch, had had written the screenplay and was to direct Return to Oz. Gary Kurtz executive produced it, and it was critically acclaimed for its technical achievements with The Room of Mirrors. It was a very dark twist on the world of Oz and was released June 21st of 1985. Gary Kurtz went on to produce more films such as Slipstream with Mark Hamill, The Steel, and 52577, and stayed working in the industry developing projects around the world, including the Far East and China up until his death at the age of 78, and he will be missed. Now, that was definitely selected readings and highlights from the article. It is pretty extensive and goes into a pretty decent biography as well, covering points from his youth all the way through his career in Hollywood. I would definitely encourage you to read that again at fanthatracks.com by way of Fanta Trackers. And the last bit of stories that I have here is actually a combined, it's a combined set of stories here, and we're going to start from twitter.com via events from Celebrity. It says here that a photo of actor Jeffrey Owens bagging groceries sparks a controversy. Now, uh, Jeffrey Owens played Elvin Thibodeau on The Cosby Show. And he was spotted working at Trader Joe's. I'll get there eventually. And and it kind of turned into kind of like this shaming thing. And it was kind of interesting that even though it was initially, originally posted to Twitter, that everyone kind of came to his defense. And People.com actually was the first up uh, by way of Emily Zalzmer. And they say here that um, stars want their followers to know that all hard work is honorable. A number of celebrities and entertainment insiders jumped to Jeffrey Owens' defense after the Daily Mail and Fox News reported that the Cosby Show alum now works at a Trader Joe's in New Jersey. A shopper had snapped pictures of him bagging groceries. And he uh, he was on the last five seasons of the show. But it's interesting to see how people had come out to help him 
and support him via Twitter. It says uh, Terry Crews tweeted, quote, I swept floors after the at NFL. If need be, I'd do it again. Good, honest work is nothing to be ashamed of, end quote. Sabrina, the teenage witch star, Nate Richard, tweeted that he's, quote, currently a maintenance man, a janitor, and a carpenter, end quote. And basically, all these people are coming out and showing the realities of life where a lot of actors and actresses have part-time gigs or the work runs out and they have to go back to real life. It's not all red carpets and fun and all that good stuff. Moving forward to MSN.com. By way of Mark Gray, Jeffrey Owens donates Nicki Minaj's $25,000 check to charity. That's right. So the original stories all broke around the 3rd of the 4th of September. This actually came out yesterday. And what, what, why is he getting $25,000? Well, Everybody thought he had fallen on just supremely hard times. It turns out that he'd actually been working at Trader Joe's as more of a part-time kind of basis thing. But at the end of the day, he did it because it allowed him flexibility to go and do any other projects that came along. And the article goes on here to say, Nicki Minaj has made good on her promise to pay Cosby Show actor Jeffrey Owens $25,000 after he was job-shamed. However, he won't keep a penny of it, choosing instead to donate it to charity. Quote, I would like to give this donation of $25,000 to the Actors Fund in memory of the late, great Earl Hyman, who played Cosby's father, Russell, on The Cosby Show, who lived his last many years and died at the actor's home, funded and run by the Actors Fund, end quote, he told TMZ. The rapper seems grateful that Jeffrey donated the money. Quote, I'm happy to be part of a great cause. I wish Jeffrey much success and want him to know how how loved he is. Rest in peace to Earl Hyman. And and quotes there, and that, of course, is Nicki Minaj. Yeah, it goes on to say, you know, Jeffrey, who found fame as Elvin Thibodeau on The Cosby Show, lined up several high-profile gigs in the wake of the attempted job shaming. Tyler Perry was so impressed with his work ethic that he hired Jeffrey for a 10-episode stint on his show, The Haves and Have-Nots. TMZ also reported that Jeffrey arrived on the Louisiana set of CBS's NCIS New Orleans on September 11th to shoot a guest-starring role as Commander Adams, an old and valued friend of lead character Dwayne Pryor who's played by Scott Bakula, and that of Gwen quoted there from TMZ. And it's just interesting because I think it really just goes to show that I think it takes a great degree of self-respect and humility to understand that even actor, as an actor and actress who has attained a degree of fame, understanding that that gravy train doesn't last and being willing to just simply insert yourself quietly back into daily life, not asking for anything, not expecting anything of anyone, really does go to show the kind of character that that a great many of these people have. And I think it's just absolutely outstanding there that, that this is finally getting recognized because everybody always thinks, oh man, you had this hit show 30 years ago. Well, not everybody's able to make that money last. Not everybody got paid enough to begin with. I mean, the, the infamous example in the movie world uh, that gets pulled up a lot of times is Jeff Daniels on Dumb and Dumber. Basically, Jim Carrey got paid somewhere in the neighborhood of like $7 million to do that film, and Jeff Daniels got paid $50,000. I the, the thinking here is that, oh my God, what the hell? Well, Jeff Daniels actually wanted to do it. That was why he said yes. They, they literally lowballed him on purpose, thinking that, oh, he'll never say yes to this. But Jeff Daniels wanted to work with Jim Carrey bad enough. He's like, oh my gosh, this sounds absolutely hilarious. 
I want to do it. And he, and he took it for $50,000. But the thing is, is that even if you're a decent actor or actress and you get a part in a movie that gives you that $50,000, that's, that's like what? A year's salary? Basic middle income? Maybe even lower middle income salary nowadays? I, I don't see how anybody can realistically think that you're going to make a ton of money. Uh, just like the guy from, uh, Captain Phillips or whatever it was, the Tom Hanks movie with the, the boat captain. I'm the captain now. That, that actor, he like, they had to literally rent him a tux. He couldn't even afford to show up at the movie premiere or go to the Oscars or whatever. So it's not all sunshine and fucking gummy bears. It's a hard, hard, hard life. Again, I just, my hat's off to Jeffrey Owens for being so gracious and sit there and realize, oh wow, people are kind of, and, and he was a little upset. He, he did feel initially a little bit humiliated. But then once all the support came in, he was like, wow, okay, good. People understand, you know, this is, this is good hard work. And now it's paying off in spades for him. So I'm I'm happy. And I know that that's not technically movie news, but in terms of movies, but I, I just really personally felt like this was just a really great feel-good story. I'm glad that something is hap- good is happening. And it also, again, brings awareness to the, to the fact that the vast majority of these people are just working stiffs. Just like you and me. And, well, that's all I have to say about that. So that does bring us to the end of our news. And next week, I guess we'll have news yet again, because Tim and I really haven't been able to coordinate a good welcome home Tigment, Tigment? (laughs) Tim segment. And so, yeah. So I guess we'll just do news one more time, and then we'll have something fun come in for episode 300 in the meantime we've got some news to get to or news good lord folks i'm so sorry i'm all over the place i promise you i'm trying to get through this as fast as i can but as professionally as i can oh by myself oh by myself that's right tim that was just for you now we'll know if he listens to the whole episode, because I have a feeling that once he gets to start editing this, that's going to be like an intro thing to like episode 300 or something like that. I, you, you guys watch or listen. Please listen. Oh, my God. Please listen. At any rate, it's time for the movie. So here we go, folks. It's the movie. <laughs> So we have got two movies for you this week. We've got Lizzie, 2018 version, and The House with a Clock in Its Walls. You know what? I want to end on a high note. So we're going to start with Lizzie. To your knowledge, did your father have any enemies? Shall I repeat the question? No, I heard you. Then please answer. The new housemaid, ma'am. It's Bridget. My name's Lizzie. Do you find your room comfortable? It can get quite hot up there. Sometimes it's best to leave the door open. It's all right, sweet girl. Father, have you done something? Have I done something? Eat, Lizzie. I said you will eat. You 
would apologize to your mother. Don't you dare call her my mother. You need me help. You have it. Must be certain if you say that. I am. So there you go. You heard it, folks. 2018 American biographical thriller films directed by Craig William McNeil and written by Bryce Cass. This is loosely based on Lizzie Borden, who was accused of axe murdering her dad and her stepmother back in 1892. Film stars Chloe Sevigny, uh, Kristen Stewart, Jay Hugley, Jamie Sheridan, Fiona Shaw, Kim Dickens, Dennis O'Hare, and Jeff Perry. Using as close to the historical facts as they could, they kind of recreated the life and scenario under which Lizzie Borden would have actually committed these crimes in the event that she actually did it. Um, Most people agree that she did do it, but there is enough speculation out there to suggest that it is possible that she did not this basically sets up the idea that lizzie borden and her housemaid bridget sullivan had a lesbian affair that subsequently resulted in the need for offing lizzie's uh, father and stepmother this movie tries so hard to be so good and it uses such good story elements and it's really i was blown away by Kristen stewart's performance i did not think for a second that she was going to act just go look up Kristen stewart school of acting on youtube that's the picture i had in my head of what her performance was going to be and it wasn't like that at all it was really really good her performance was really good the acting all the way around is really really good the problem here for me is the director craig william mcneil does not know how to string the threads together to make one coherent tale that is concisely told everything that it's it's like got really creative cinematography there is definitely an interesting way that the shot selection is ordered and that the cameras are positioned so that things are put into focus or things are drawn away to kind of really get you into the feel of what is happening scene by scene. The problem is, is that the scenes themselves are either too long or bridged by nonsensical cinematography and just an overall slowness. And I get maybe that's the idea. Part of it is there wasn't a whole lot to do back in 1892. Okay, fine. But it's one thing to kind of make you feel that for a few minutes or to make you feel that from time to time, but the entire movie does this. This movie literally could have been about 40 minutes long. 40 minutes long. It's 105 minutes long. It's too fucking long. I was bored out of my mind for the vast majority of the time in this film. And yet... There are seeds of greatness all over the place, and no doubt about it, it is well acted. And and as far as the interesting take of the lesbian thriller aspect, okay, you know, again, great seeds of great seeds of great story elements are abounding in this, but it just did not pay off for me in any way, shape, or form. And I give this a two. Barely reaches a two, and it's because of the strength of the acting. I was, again, completely blown away. But it just was not enough to save this movie at all. Two out of five. Tim, what do you got, sir? Hello again, folks. This is Tim phoning it in for another week. 
<laughs> uh, let's hope that the quality of this phone in is a little bit better than last week's phone in quality. Um, I, I, I guess I am back again to talk about the film Lizzie. Yes, uh, of what I've gathered via text messages. I, I don't think Matt liked this movie too much. So, uh, I, I think I'm pleased to say, especially to you, Matthew, I'm pleased to say that I don't think there's going to be a fight on this one. Lizzie, uh, the best part of this movie very much could have been Kristen Stewart. I think this was one, definitely one of the better movies I've seen of hers. I, of course, have not seen every single Twilight movie. I haven't seen every other movie that she's been in uh, that I can think of. I remember she was in a uh, uh, a sexual harassment within the Army movie. I, I forget what it's called, and I might be completely wrong, but I'm pretty sure that was her in it. And I haven't seen the whole movie. But she did do a pretty good job of the bits and pieces I've seen of it. But this was a very pleasant surprise. I enjoyed watching her performance. She had a very, I think, authentic Irish accent to boot. Uh, Chloe Sevigny, the lead, as in she plays Lizzie Borden, I thought did a pretty good job as well. In fact, the movie is also shot beautifully. I thought the cinematography was nice and the use of the, uh, the, the widescreen aspect ratio. They did a really good job of capturing the, uh, capturing the, uh, the, I guess I should say the locales, the time period in the aesthetic that comes along with it, especially the aesthetic of these women, this family, uh, these, uh, especially Lizzie Borden kind of living this confined lifestyle. Um, and, but I never really got the understanding, a full understanding as to why her father was so overbearing. Uh, and it seemed like maybe he kept her indoors more often than not. I believe it was because of her little seizure attacks that she has. That's why she's not allowed out. I, I, I am not sure. But, as for characterizations, what Chloe Sevigny did and how she was able to show her character being so, uh, so, so, uh, I guess locked away from society and her illness it, itself, I thought she conveyed that quite nicely and effectively. Now, as I mentioned last week, I kind of fell asleep during The Predator because the movie was complete shit. Lizzie, I had I closed my eyes a couple times. I'm not gonna lie. I just got out of the movie and it was a it was a 7 p.m. movie. I had plenty of sleep the night before. It's just the film technically, though it looks good, it is unbearably slow at most parts. Like the camera doesn't have to take 85 minutes to pan from one person to the next, to pan from one side of the room to the other room. These characters, there's no reason for them to speak so slowly and take so long to get a point across. And it was just almost excruciatingly bad. And it would have been excruciatingly bad as a whole if the performances weren't good <laughs> and and uh and the movie wasn't at least competently shot 
And that's really all I have to say about it. If you really want to go see this film, keep that in mind. I'd say rent it, but hey, if you want to spend a few bucks on it, go spend a few bucks on it. I'm not going to hold you back. It's a decently made movie, but shit, it is unbearably slow. Uh, not for the whole runtime at all. Not, not for the entire length of the film, but especially the whole entire beginning and the middle where they're taking so much damn time setting up the movie. I looked at my watch a bunch and I'll tell you what, the first 45 minutes of the movie felt like an hour and a half. No joke. I am landing on a, I am landing on a 2.5 out of five with this one. I don't, want to give it a two because I can't say that I didn't like it. I also can't give it a three, although I do want to give it a three because of what it does well. But 2.5 out of five, that's what I'm sticking, sticking, sticking with. So mark that down for me. Excellent. Excellent, I say. All right, well, then we are going to immediately jump into the house with a clock in its walls. Last stop. Lewis? I'm your Uncle Jonathan. Are you wearing a robe? It's a kimono. Here we are. Home sweet home. You're Lewis, I presume. How was your trip? This old hag is my neighbor. I'm relieved to see you didn't inherit your uncle's freakishly oversized head. My God, did that withered purple skeleton just speak? You'll see, it's quite different here. Have a look around. You're perfectly safe. That's safe? As long as it's fed. Do you know what a warlock is, Lewis? A boy witch. I think they're a little more than boy witches. Are you saying that you're a warlock? Please teach me, please, please. Okay, have it your way. I can give you the right books. Teach you the right spells. But that last 1%, that's up to you. I don't want the creepy little runt. Think I want him? You've told Lewis everything? Well, not everything. Do you hear the ticking? Ticking, ticking. This house used to be owned by another warlock. He's very wicked, very powerful. He left a hidden clock in the walls. We don't know what it does except something horrible. Three gongs. Last time it was four. What happens when it gets down to one? Nothing good, that's for certain. We have to destroy the clock. So creepy. You can't do this alone. I can help you. You want to see some real magic? I'll show you. Yes, baby. 2018 American Family Film directed by Eli Roth based on the 1973 juvenile fiction novel of the same name by John Belairs. Stars Jack Black, Kate Blanchett, Owen Vaccaro, Renee Elise Goldsberry, Sonny Sujik, and Kyle McLachlan. The film follows a young boy who goes to live with his uncle in a creaky old house which is haunted by the ghost of his uncle's former friend who is about to end the world with a clock he made and hidden within the house before his death. Now, you clearly got that from the trailer, easy enough, but let me tell you, this movie is truly a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful breath of fresh air. It is definitely designed to set up 
a franchise. There were 12 novels. 12. Count them, folks. 12. That's right, J.K. Rowling. You got nothing on this. <laughs> but in all seriousness, the movie is also beautifully self-contained so that you don't have to make a super huge franchise out of this. And you could also work it in such a manner that you can condense any of the remaining books and adventures to make something more concise and you don't have to drag it out for 12 movies because, let's face it, I don't think you're going to get even Kate Blanchett. And I don't even think you could get Jack Black to hang on for 12 movies. But that's okay. Even if we only got like a really badass trilogy out of it, I would be super happy. And you know what else? I'd also be happy if we got no sequels because we don't have to worry about diminishing returns. This movie, though, is just absolutely outstanding. And as I said, just a complete breath of fresh air. I loved the just the genuineness of the uh, of the performances, the clear, clear camaraderie of the cast and the chemistry between Jack Black and Kate Blanchett is very clearly real on screen. If they hate each other in real life, which I don't think is possible, but hey, anything I suppose is. But if they hated each other in real life, you would never know. I mean, they just completely and truly look like they are friends. And it just feels like they have an off-screen chemistry that enables them to just play off of each other in such a way. Everything is very well acted, especially on the kid's side of the screen with Owen Vaccaro as Lewis, who plays this 10-year-old nephew. The only issue that I have, because for the most part, everything is played straight when it needs to be played straight, played for laughs when it needs to be played for laughs, and played for scares in when it's meant to be scary. The only two issues I have with the film are, despite its fat, its family-friendly atmosphere and style and presentation, even in that context, and the fact that this movie does take place, I want to say, in 55, 1955, it's too easy. Like, there's just... It's it's too smoothed out. It's too easy of a journey. Uh, the self-discovery isn't really present, especially for Lewis. Uh, um, and who, again, played by Owen Vaccaro, it doesn't feel as natural as it could. Now, it doesn't detract from the movie as a whole because, again, it's a family movie. But I think, I think they might have dumbed it down a little too much even for the family-friendly side. But that's okay because... Even though the journey of of Lewis isn't as full of vitality as it could have been, it's still very well done, and it's very clear, and it's and it is easy to follow, and still entertaining while doing so, or while being so. The other thing I didn't like was uh, in the climax of the film, the CGI was a little wonky, and for me, kind of took me out of it. I think that there. Could have been better ways to do that. Uh, now I don't. I didn't read the books, so I don't know how faithful it is to the book, and perhaps maybe it was necessary to do it in that aspect. But it you you've done such a good job of building up a lot of creepy aspects and everything in the film. You've done such a great job of really in, in putting thrills and chills into the audience. And believe me, I saw kids in the audience who were like convulsing with shakes from certain parts of the movie. You've done such a great job that I think you didn't have to back it off in the finale with kind of wonky, goofy CGI. And you could have maintained that hold. 
So those are the only two complaints that I have about the film. Ultimately, I give this a four out of five. It is a fantastic movie. I really, really like this movie. I will own this movie. But it does fall short of per- perfection in those two areas that were strong enough for me to pull it. I was really considering a 4.5 out of 5, but I think that I could have forgiven the CGI aspect of it, given that it is family-friendly, but I think that for the quality of the writing on the whole, for the beauty of the visuals, for the performances themselves, I think we could have... I think it generated the need to expect more out of all of the characters, not just some or one. So four out of five, fantastic movie, and bring us home, Tim! And this is Tim, back again to tell you what I thought about the house with a clock in its walls. Which, actually, not just the house with a clock in its walls, but in fact, Michael Jackson's thriller, to which if you go and see the house with the clock in its walls in IMAX, you'll be treated to the actual, or the original whole thriller short film directed by John Landis and starring uh, the late great Michael Jackson. The house with the clock in its walls had a had a heavy act to follow, man. I mean, seeing and hearing thriller in an IMAX theater was definitely an experience that I am super happy I drove the 35 minutes <laughs> to uh to to experience it in to to experience it in to watch it in to watch it in to do it to do it to watch it to experience whatever uh but yes i drove 35 minutes to go see the house of the clock and walls in imax so i could see the thriller in the 3d and in the imax now the house with the clock on its walls i couldn't help myself but i was curious to read reviews i was wondering what people were thinking about this film because it is in fact directed by Eli Roth. I'm sure he was making this at the same time he was making the really shitty Death Wish movie that we watched and reviewed earlier this year. And the reviews, though the critical reviews were pretty positive, I think the movie has like a 69 or so critic review on on Rotten Tomatoes, so not quite fresh, but the audience's score is rotten. It's like 58, 58, 59, like it's not positive at all. And I am surprised because I had a fucking fun-ass time watching this movie um i i don't i really don't know where to begin it was it reminded me of the type of kid movies uh that were pg growing up and especially those uh, ones that i grew up just grew up watching not necessarily they came out when i was growing up um that they that these type of movies or those type of movies just never really held back when it came to frightening imagery to more adult themes to the overall scariness i suppose this movie the house with the clock in its walls just didn't hold back it didn't censor itself it wasn't catering to a sensitive child or sensitive family members which i appreciate uh, for a pg movie there is a healthy dose of scary imagery uh and even i guess i could go as far as to say not just scary imagery but 
maybe not frightening, but grotesque imagery. You have Jack Black with the actual Jack Black head, but with a baby body, you know, and you see his butt, which is kind of weird. You have uh, Kyle McFadden. Is it Kyle McFadden? I think it is Kyle McFadden. Uh, 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 agent, what's his name? Coffee drinker, donut drink eater from Twin Peaks. Uh, he uh, is it Cl- or Kyle McLaughlin? Ah, shit, whatever. But he who plays the bad guy is has just like a very grotesque look at him, a uh, look to him when he appears closer to the third act of the film. I loved the structure of this movie, and a lot of it was because of Eli Roth's direction. He did just such a splendid job at creating a movie that catered to just just genre movie fans, you know, like it was a good story, and yet no, it, the movie didn't feel like it was trying too hard. Um, a good example of the movie not feeling like it was trying too trying too hard is uh, Jack Black's character. He wasn't a caricature. Jack Black didn't play the character over the top. I also love the addition of Kate Blanchett. I thought she did a wonderful job. I the both uh, Kate Blanchett and Jack Black worked incredibly well together. I remember reading this book back when I was in elementary school, and I believe the book originally came out in the 70s, so maybe it has a following, I don't know, outside of me reading it. I don't know of anybody else who who read the book. And I remember what the cover of the book looked like, I remember holding it in my hand, and I remember absolutely getting a kick out of it. And I wanted to see this movie be made. Now, I cannot remember the specifics of the book, so I cannot sit here and tell you what all the movie got right, uh, what it what it missed out on, what it came up with on its own. I can't tell you that. But the essence, the tone, the the what I the imagination, <laughs> the 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 creativity of the book definitely gets across in the movie. Another movie that maybe I can compare, an original movie, I should say, that I can maybe compare to uh, to this film, to A House with a Clock in Its Walls, is the film Monster House, the PG movie produced by Steven Spielberg. I can't remember who directed it, but it was the CGI Halloween-themed movie that came out in 2006 or 2007. I think 2006, so shit, 12 years ago now. Uh, though it was PG... It had some very, it had some thematic adult, you know, m- more mature elements to it. You know, they still had said hell. They still had said, said damn it. You know, they, they still, uh, they, they, there was still some violence in it. And yet it didn't feel over the top. It didn't feel unnecessary. Whereas with a show like Stranger Things or other films that are coming out now because they're nostalgic genre-based films. They're not nearly as successful as House with a Clock in Its Walls because a lot of those films and a lot of those TV shows are setting out to be nostalgia-based genre films. You know, they're trying to copy these other films, be like these other older films from the 80s, instead of creating something all on its own. You know, and maybe capturing the essence of what we loved about watching the films from the eighties and, and early nineties. That's what a, a, the house with the a, the house with the clock on its walls does 
wonderfully. You know, that's why it doesn't feel like the same old nostalgia grab that we feel with a lot of these other, other films. It creates something incredibly unique. J.J. Uh, Abrams' Super 8 that came out in 2011, I think, is another film that was, that felt fresh and it felt new and granted it had the essence of a Steven Spielberg film. It wasn't a Steven Spielberg film knockoff. It was creating something that kind of fits on that genre shelf next to all those other movies. It didn't feel like a direct copy. I love that the house with the clock on its walls. I'm giving it a 4.5 out of five. I really do hope all you people, all, all anybody who saw the trailer and was interested in it, I hope you go and check it out because I really want this film to do well because I kind of want to see Eli Roth make other films kind of like this, you know, or, or at least ex- for him to experiment in other films that are not grotesque, hard R movies because he is talented. And if anything, this movie shows how talented he really is. I, I've, uh, I've definitely have more appreciation for him because this film definitely shows his range. It's imaginative, creative. Maybe those are the same thing, whatever. <laughs> it's just a very entertaining film. Do check it out. I, I love the idea that, or the fact that all the payoffs that were brought up throughout the film, you know, the payoffs that were introduced, I guess, um, they actually paid off by the end of the movie in their own unique way. But yet you're not sitting there expecting for something to pay off. It just happens organically. And that's, I really wanted to make sure I, I get that, uh, little bit in my review because I think it was important. So I'm giving it a 4.5 out of five. Go and see it. It's the most fun I've had at the movie theater over the past, for the past couple weeks, I think. Um, and it was a surprise, definitely because of the non-love it has been receiving from audiences for some stupid reason. Go check it out. 4.5 out of 5. The house with the clock in its walls for me. All right. That is it, folks. And so next week, we're going to be celebrating Tim's return with a whole whopping former fashion of the following movies. Hellfest from the theaters and some classic werewolf movie action. Werewolf of London, The Wolfman, Frankenstein meets The Wolfman and House of Frankenstein, all from the 30s and 40s. Well, except for Hellfest, that's in the theater. Uh, but uh, yeah, so please, please, please come and join us next week for that. And without further ado... I believe we're just going to jump right into the spiel. Yes! So, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast. And you can find us at SLSCast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLSCast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can follow me, this is Matt, on Twitter at NetTwit12345. You can, of course, come aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire. Don't forget, please subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio as well as listen to us on the old SoundCloud or other podcast directories. If you'd like to support the show, we would love for you to head on over to Patreon.com and check us out there. And so until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Kyle McLachlan, I get to say this. 
Becoming a father increases your capacity for love and your level of patience. It opens up another door in a person, a door which you may not even have known was there. That's what I feel with my son. There's suddenly another level of love that expands. My son is my greatest joy out of everything in my life. Thanks again for joining us, folks. And we can't wait to have you back next week to welcome Tim back. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening.